Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Hey, good morning, church. All right, I got one good morning, a couple good mornings. Thank you all for having me. I'm glad to be here. And uh, yeah, so let me tell you a couple things here, pastoral privilege before I get started with the sermon part. We'll get there, right? Two years ago, uh, when I first heard Pastor Tanner share his testimony when he was just Tanner, that's how I knew him, and Naomi, I was sitting there going, dude, what is God going to do with this guy? You know, you could tell there were some rough edges to him, and yeah, if you know him, there might still be a couple rough edges to him, right? But we like him that way. But there was also a passion for Jesus. There was also a humility in him. And that's the thing I got to tell you, and I can say it now because he's not in here, right? He's back there working with the kids. I mean, God bless him. What lead pastor goes to work in the nursery? A humble lead pastor. So you guys are just the start of Imago Day. And I'm just going to say this on behalf of all pastors everywhere. You know, you know your pastor's not perfect, but you also know he loves Jesus and he loves you. And so anytime you have a disagreement with him, take it up with Jesus first, but then take it up with him. Don't gossip to other people. Talk to the person. That's a rule in life, right? Don't talk about people. Talk to people. And so um, that's one thing I would say to you. The other thing is this. You know, God's got you here in this church, and you look around and go, we're small, but man, how many disciples did it take for Jesus to change the world? Just 12. Well, actually 11, right? Because Judas hit the road. I mean, the number one characteristic of a church that grows, and this is from all kinds of study over all sorts of decades, is those folks in the church invite others to the church. Yeah, now there are things that, you know, we need to have. It's nice to have a good preacher. It's nice to have good music. It's nice to have a good place to meet. All those kind of things like that. But it is inviting others, inviting them to a relationship with you where you can invite them to consider a relationship with Jesus, where you can invite them to come to church with you or church functions. And that's the thing that's going to help grow your church for God's glory. So those are my pastoral privilege things. But uh, I imagine I'm preaching today because, you know, I, there was probably a conversation. The, Tanner's office is right over there in the corner of the building. My office is right upstairs. Like, if Tanner's in there alone sometimes and he's singing... I can hear him. I mean, it's right upstairs. And I'm sure he and Colin are down there a couple weeks ago having a conversation. And uh, Tanner's like, man, who am I going to preach for me on November the 5th? And Colin, you know, being a man of God, says, man, bro, you need to talk to the man upstairs. And Tanner took it literally and went, oh, yeah, I'll just talk to Aaron. I'm not too good with the jokes. That's the best I can do. All right. There you go. I literally am the man upstairs for only Tanner, um, but not that man upstairs. Right. It's like now that I'm a doctor, I used to say I'm not a doctor and I don't play one on TV. Now I have to say uh, I am a doctor, just not that kind, you know. Um, yeah. Anyhow. So I want us to start at the very beginning and uh, Genesis one twenty seven. Thank you to Miss Joanna for starting us in Genesis 2, totally cool. But Genesis 1.27, look at what it says. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. This should tell us a couple things to start with foundationally. First, we're not our own. We didn't create ourselves. We didn't come from goo and evolve into monkeys and evolve into people. That didn't happen, right? Our bodies don't belong to ourselves. And I know it's 
a thing that some folks want to say, my body, my choice, and I'm not knocking on women because I think anybody, no matter your gender, might say that, or we live like that, like this body is mine, I get to do with it what I want. I want to say, no, time out, time out. God made you, and He made you in His image, and it's not a physical image, it's a spiritual image, it's about being sentient, it's the ability to have relationships, to have feelings, to love one another. I mean, you think about the very name of your church, Imago Dei, it's a fancy Latin word, when Tanner told me, I was like, okay, bro, I mean, you know, because it's like fancy sounding, and Tanner doesn't strike me as fancy, but it works, right? Imago Dei means the image of God. So the very name of your church reminds us of the fact that God made us in a spiritual image to have relationships with one another and to call others to Himself. We belong to God. He is our Father. He is our Creator. And thanks be to Jesus, He's our Redeemer. Amen. And so when we start right there that He created us male and female, we have to start with the very foundational truth that we are created with differences on purpose. And I know our world today is pretty confused and you have people that are born as a biological male that say they want to be a biological female. We have dear family friends who their son, John Mark, Some bad stuff happened to him when he was a teenager that led him when he went to college that was on the liberal leaning side to say, maybe I'm not supposed to be a boy. Maybe God made me to be a woman. And now he doesn't even identify by the name John Mark. And he gets mad if you call him that. He identifies by a woman's name and he dresses woman's clothes. And this is one of the hairiest men I've ever met. And so he's going somewhere with a friend who was born a woman who now wants to identify with a man and they're in a relationship with one another. I mean, how does that work? How did we get this confused? That's the world we live in. So we need to come back to our beginnings. And we start there in Genesis 1.27 and we want to talk today about wives and husbands and how we are different by design. Now, let me tell you, um, in marriage, there are always two opinions in every argument or disagreement. One opinion is always right, and the other opinion is always the husband's. <laughs> That's my second attempt at humor. The ladies laugh, the husband's not so much. Now, you know that's not always true, right? I'm just trying to be funny. But I feel like, because I'm a little bit of a yahoo, and because my wife is a gift from God, at least in our marriage, whenever I'm on this side and I'm saying, baby, it's like this, it's like this, and she's on this side, and she's going, no, Aaron, it's like this, and it's like that. That generally when I slow down enough and pray and ask God for His help and listen with ears that want to understand to my wife, I'm like, oh, you know what? She was right. There's a super cool thing God does in marriage. And I know not all of you are married yet. Maybe you're not married at this moment. You may have been in the past. But in a God-ordained marriage, and all marriages God intends, and any marriage can be this way, God does this thing, it's called complementary, right? Where He makes us fill in each other's gaps. You remember the old Rocky movie, you know, the original one, you know, from 1976 or whatever. I love the scene when Rocky and Polly are like in this little convenience store. And Polly's like confronting Rocky. 
Like, hey, Rocky, what do you like about my sister, Adrian? You know, she's plain. She's got the glasses and everything. She, she likes to read books. And Rocky says to Polly, the way I look at it, and I should stop my accents, I'm sorry. He says, Adrian got gaps, and I got gaps, but together we got no gaps. Theology from Rocky, right? You didn't know you were going to get that when you came to church this morning. God intends us, made in His image, male and female in His image, with differences of personality, differences of experiences, differences in hormones and all the other differences He made in us to complement and therefore complete one another and to be, here's my phrase, better together. And so we want to turn to our passage of Scripture this morning. And Pastor Tanner assigned me to preach on Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 33, but because I'm just a little rebellious and also because I'm like, mm, this helps me out here, well, it helps us all out, I want to start us in verse 21. And if you're able to stand with me in the honor of reading God's Word, would you do that as we read this passage of text this morning? And I'm reading from the ESV. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, through the end of the chapter, verse 33. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and his, is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water and with the word, so that he might present, her, present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that might be, uh, she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands, you should love their wives as they love their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man should leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we come before you and we've opened your word and we're starting down this journey of understanding this morning. And it's our prayer that it wouldn't just be what we came into this room with that determines what we think about your word today, but it's what your Holy Spirit speaks into our heart and into our minds in these next moments. God, if it's your desire, would you teach us a new truth? God, if it's your desire, would we be humble enough to change our mind, to change our heart, to change our direction. That's repentance, God. So we come before you, God, with hearts of humility, hearts that are willing to confess and repent, hearts that are willing to receive from your word, and we ask that you speak now through your Holy Spirit and through your word for your servants are listening. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. 
There are four things I want us to consider this morning from this passage of Scripture. And the first one is this. Mutual submission is the foundation for marriage. Mutual submission is the foundation for marriage. And that comes from verse 21. You've been going through the book of Ephesians. You know Ephesians is basically about Christian living. How we as believers in Jesus are supposed to relate to others. Yes, within the church, but in relationships in general. And so Paul gets to this relationship of wives and husbands here in verse 22. And I know when you read verse 21 out of the ESV, you're like, hey, wait a second. That's the end of a big long sentence. Well, Paul wrote big long sentences and, you know, it starts up in verse 17 right therefore do not be foolish about what understanding what the will of the lord is don't get drunk with wine debauchery be filled with holy spirit addressing each other with psalms hymns and spiritual songs verse 20 giving thanks and everything da 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 and verse 21 submitting to one another out of reverence for christ let me ask a question when's the last time you thought about your heartbeat I mean, most of us don't think about it, right? We just kind of live and our hearts are going thunk, 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 thunk. Or if we're, you know, really going hard, they're going thunk, 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 thunk. You may not think about your heartbeat, but do you have to think about making it beat? It beats all on its own, right? It's called the autonomic nervous system. I had to check this out with my 19-year-old sophomore in college pre-nursing student daughter, Mary Elizabeth, because I want to make sure I had it right. And she's in anatomy and physiology right now, and she's super smart. And it's called the autonomic nervous system. These are things that your body does without you having to think about it. You don't have to think. Eyes blink. You don't have to think. Heart beat. You don't have to think. Stomach digests this food. Otherwise, you know, some bad things are going to happen. It just happens, right? Now, there are other things that you do that the, you think about. That's the somatic nervous system. Like the way I'm moving right now, the words I'm saying right now, I'm thinking about these and I'm making these things happen. And if I do something weird, just blame it on me, not God, okay? But when we think about our heartbeat, the fact that it just happens, dum-dum, 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 that should be the way we as believers in Jesus think about submission. Submit, 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 submit. Now don't get the wrong idea here. This is not about being a doormat that people could walk on. Not at all. Believers in Jesus still stand up for what's right. But it's who you're willing to submit to. Are you in humility and brokenness and understanding that there is a God and you're not Him willing to submit to Him? Are you willing in humility and understanding, willing to say, God, you've put certain people in authority over me, whether that's your boss at work or whether that's your pastor at church or whether that's in your marriage? And that you look at life with the opportunity to say, God, what is my position in relation to these? And how can I humbly do what you've called me to do? That's the way we should submit to one another. So I've got some questions for us to consider, and they're not going to be on the screen, but just for us to consider. And the first question is, how should we submit? Well, let's go back to our text. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Ah. So submitting, and it literally says in the ESV, submitting, that's the best translation of that Greek word. Some others say submit. Well, submit sounds like it's a one and done thing, but submitting means that it's an ongoing action. 
Pastor Tanner may have taught you or maybe you've heard before in the Greek, there is a verb tense called perfect tense. It's something that started in the past. It's going on right now and it's going to keep going on. That's the perfect tense. That's what this verb submitting is. You started submitting when you trusted Jesus as your Savior. You're still submitting right now because you're following Jesus and you know you're going to continue following Jesus to eternity when you get to heaven. And so it's an ongoing action, just like your heartbeat. Thump, 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 thump. We think about why would we want to submit? Let's go back to verse 21. To one another out of reverence for Christ. We submit to Jesus out of reverence for Christ. Not because we should, not because we necessarily want to, not because we feel like it, not because Pastor Aaron told us to, not because even the Bible says so, but because we know it's the right thing to do. As followers of Jesus, we submit out of reverence, which is a fancy word for worship or respect for Jesus. Think about this. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So I'm going to submit to others because I'm submitting to Jesus. That posture is the same. It's just my posture to Jesus should be mirrored in my posture to one another. You think about the fact that love isn't a feeling. Love is a commitment. And you think about people you know and maybe you've been involved in such a relationship that has ended in divorce. You know people who have been married and have had a relationship that has ended in divorce. And I want to replace the D word with the C word. Commitment. If love is a feeling, it can end in something like divorce. Your feelings are going to change. You're going to have big, strong, high, good feelings. You're going to have deep, low, negative feelings. So if you base your relationship and whether you're together or not on your feelings, you're going to be in trouble. But if you base your relationship on a commitment that no matter how I feel, I am committed to this person and to this marriage, to this relationship, everything will be different. You need commitment to sustain a marriage. So what's our first point here? Our first point is mutual submission is the foundation of marriage. I would submit to you that mutual submission, Christ-like submission, is the foundation to any healthy relationship, not just marriage. You think about what Romans 12.10 says? It says, honor others above yourself. You think about Philippians 2.3. It says, um, make my joy complete, Paul says, by being of the same mind. And then it goes on in Philippians chapter 2 to talk about how Jesus humbled Himself in order to give Himself up as an offering for us and how we should be like Jesus in our mind. Mutual submission is the foundation. It should be natural like a heartbeat for us. And if you're sitting here this morning going, okay, um, Aaron, I don't feel like submission for me is a mutual thing yet, and I don't feel like it's my heartbeat, well, there's your prayer request today, right? That's what you say, okay, God, I realize confession is agreeing with you. And so, God, I agree with you that what this passage says is not happening in my life right now. So, God, I need you to change my heart. So I'm going to come to you daily that you might change my heart, but I realize 
you're going to have to do it. Because it's not natural for me based on my life, based on my experience, based on the way people have used me, based on the way people have abused me, based on the way people have misused me and sinned against me to want to submit to a person in authority over me or certainly to my spouse. So let's move on to our next verses. And our next point for you to consider is, our second point is voluntary submission, is the responsibility of the wives. Now I realize I'm a man up here and I'm treading on what could be dangerous territory in our culture today, but you got to get the whole passage, right? You realize anytime you study scripture, you can pull one verse out and you could say, look, it says this. But it is wiser to read the verses before it and the verse after it and the entire book and to know from context what is going on to get a fuller understanding of it. And if you still don't understand it, you ask somebody who has books on their shelf like I do, written by some really smart people, hey, what does that verse of Scripture really mean? Yeah, you can go Google it, but you might you know, get a wrong opinion there. And it's not bad to Google it, but you've got to be careful where those opinions come from. But voluntary submission is the responsibility of the wives. And before you get too worried about it, wait till our third point, because our third point is going to completely balance it out. But let's go to verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as the Lord. I knew a guy in high school. He was this big kind of redneck dude. And he said, man, I can't wait till I get married. I'm going to say to my wife, submit, woman, submit. You wouldn't be surprised to know he's never been married and he's still not married. (laughs) I mean, with an attitude like that, I'm thinking, you ain't going to get too far, buddy. Enjoy being single. Woo! That's not it at all. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Submit means to be subject, to be subordinate to It's the only wifely duty uh, insisted upon here. But the husband's not despotic or demanding. And the Greek here is really interesting. It's, It's not a positive command, but it's an earnest appeal. It is appealing to women to voluntarily submit to their husband. Not forced by a demanding husband saying, Submit! But in deference by a loving wife. So it's the heart of the wife who loves Jesus and wants to love her husband even though sometimes he can be a Yehu that wants to voluntarily submit herself to Him. Submit yourself to your husband as to the Lord. Well, how do we do this? Well, you do it like you would with Jesus. Just as you've said, okay, Lord Jesus, I know I don't know everything about my life. I don't know I can't figure out how to do that. I don't think I have the strength to do that. Jesus, you've got to give me the ability to do the things you've called me to do. That's the same way when it's in relation to submitting to your husband. Jesus, I'm surrendering myself to your will and to your word. Because I love you and I want to love my husband, I'm asking you to give me this ability. Well, Why would you do this? Go back to our scripture. Husband is the head of the church, is, excuse me, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and himself. Oh. Now the husband's not the wife's savior, but it's it's an analogy, right? It's it's holding things as parallel. 
That because Jesus died to save those of us who are believers in Jesus, we, the church, submit to Him out of reverence for Him because He's done something for us. And God put Him in authority over us. In the same way, a wife should submit to her husband because why did God put him in authority? I don't know. Scripture's not completely clear on that. It's called headship, but you submit. Go on there in verse 24. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so all wives, also wives should submit to husbands and submit in everything to their husbands. That's repeating that same idea. Did you know that the ancient world, particularly the Jewish world and even the Greek world in which Paul was writing to the church at Ephesus was a man's world. Women were referred to in Hebrew as shadow, C-H-A-T-T-E-L in English. They were property, not respected, not given a voice, not given a place. Greek women, in many ways, were even worse. They were confined to the home. They were not even allowed to eat a meal with a man who was not their husband. If another man was over visiting your husband, they were to eat one room, and you had to eat wherever in the kitchen. I mean, the world for women in Jesus' day and in the early church was much worse than the world for women is today. And so Paul's instructions here are striking. But you have to think about, even though some folks wrongly say that Paul is a chauvinist, and that's a whole other sermon, how Paul elevated the role of women and how much more so Jesus elevated the role of women. And so if mutual submission here comes from who God is and who, what Jesus has done from within the heart of a woman. Mutual submission is our foundation. Voluntary submission of the wife is Our next point, but let's go and get our third point here. Sacrificial love. Sacrificial love is the responsibility of the husband. Mutual submission is the response of the wife, but it's not just any husband. This is a godly, God-fearing, sacrificing husband. Go on there in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Before I go any further... Men in the room, what did Jesus do to show his love for the church? Brother Cody, Colin? He died for us. Ladies in the room, did you hear that? Jesus died for the church, gave his very life up to save us from the penalty of the sin, sins, and your husband's supposed to love you that way. To lay down his very life for you. Now that doesn't mean, you know, taking a bullet for you. Taking a bullet in some ways would be easy. I know your life would be over and people would mourn you. But it's the harder work, man. The harder work of day after day. Loving your wife like Jesus loved the church. And you're serving her. And you're honoring her. And you're protecting her. And you're caring for her. And you're putting her above yourselves. Melanie and I went to a marriage conference a long time ago. Uh, My oldest son is 22, and it was between the time Seth 
was born 22 years ago and Mary was born 19 years ago. So 20 years ago, so we go to a marriage conference. And it's one of these things, you know, where somebody's up here on the platform, they're telling you stuff, and you're like, oh, that's good, write notes, write notes. But then they're like, and now we're going to give you an assignment, and you've got to go back and do your assignment, and then come back to your small group and talk about it. I'm like, ha ha, this assignment I'm going to get good marks at, because I've been a really good husband at loving my wife and doing all sorts of romantic things. Yes, I'm going to be the best husband in the whole group. I was pretty proud of myself. So we go do our assignment. We come back to our small group. And the question was, wives, tell your husband and tell the group the time you felt most loved by him. I thought, man, I've got this in the bag. I'm going to make every other husband in this group jealous and all the wives wish they were married to me. Yeah, I was that kind of cocky. I'm, hopefully I'm past that. Because, I mean, you know, I'd taken Melanie on romantic little trips and wrote her letters and wrote her poems and got her flowers and would cook dinner for her and rub her feet and all those things you do, you know. I mean, I was like, I got this in the bag. And so, wouldn't you know, it was all the other couples got to go first. So we're the last couple to go. And they're like, so tell us, Melanie, when have you felt most loved by Erin? And she looked at me and she says, you have no idea, do you? If you know my wife, she's from Louisiana. She's a little bit of sassy. She knows how to put me in my place. We like her that way. She's sweet and sassy. I said, ma'am? And she says, you remember when Seth was born? And I had mastitis. Mastitis, the mammary glands, for those of you that don't know, get inflamed. And the only way to like get it out is take your medicine, yes, but also to have the baby continue nursing. And it's super, super painful. And it's like she had the flu for like three days straight. I mean, she's in bed. She'd get up, she'd feed that baby and weep as she fed that baby. And she'd go back to bed. And she said, when you took care of me and Seth, when he was a newborn, and I had mastitis and didn't do anything, that's when I felt most loved by you. Okay, sweetie, you got me there. I didn't see that one coming. Why did she feel most loved by me? That's when I served her the most. She couldn't do anything. I had to help her out of the bed to the bathroom. She was so weak. Bring her stuff to drink. Encourage her to drink and eat. Husbands, that's the way we're supposed to love our wives all the time. Not just when she's sick. Not just when she's hurting. Let's look on in our passage of Scripture. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Now, you're getting into Paul going from marriage to deeper theology, uh, really, we call it ecclesiology, a theology of the church here, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, 
that she might be holy and without blemish. In other words, husbands, you have a spiritual responsibility to your wife. It's not just to take care of her when she's sick. It's not just to go to work and make money to pay the bills or help pay the bills if she works outside the home as well. It's not just to say, I'm the head of the house and I get the final word to make the decision. Husbands, you have a spiritual responsibility to lead by example that as you are sanctified, you are seeking to help your wife be sanctified. And if God blesses you with children, your children to be sanctified. Verse 28. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Now, I don't know about you. I'm pretty good at loving my own body. When I'm hungry, I feed me. When I'm tired, I lay down. When, uh, you know, I want something, I see if I can make a plan to get it. You know, if uh, the music's too loud, I'm like, hey, turn that down. If the music's not loud enough, I'm like, hey, turn that up. I'm good at taking care of me. That's my sin nature, my flesh, and that's the way I'm supposed to take care of my wife. That I should know her so well that I know her needs and that I seek to meet her needs, not just mine. Isn't this a pretty amazing and pretty crazy picture of the way a husband should love his wife? Let's go on. Verse 29, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Okay, I've already illustrated that one. Verse 30, Because we are members of His body. Oh. Because as the church, we're part of Jesus' body. That's why He loves us and takes care of us. And that's what He asks us to do in a family with one another and our commitment to our wife and our family go on verse 31 therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife that goes back to the hebrew means cleave it literally means to stick together so firmly that if you were to try to separate it both things would be scarred or ruined because of it and the two shall become one flesh When I was young, I didn't quite understand that one. You know, as a young man who, by God's grace, um, well, until I was married to a godly woman, and then in a marriage relationship, I went, oh, I understand this now. It's not just the physically intimate part that God's talking about here. There's an intimacy that I have with my wife that is deeper and better than just having physical relation with one another. The physical relationship we have with one another is like icing on the cake makes it sound too small as well. I don't know, I need to come up with a better analogy for this. That there's something that God has given us that's just otherworldly. Let's go back to the word there. Mystery. He says in verse 32, going back to his ecclesiology analogy, 
that this mystery is profound and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So he's going back and forth from talking about marriage to talking about the church and how one is an illustration of the other. And then he comes with a summary statement here in verse 33. However, let each of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So we've got our fourth and final point here. Mutual submissions are foundation. Both husbands and wives are to submit to one another. Voluntary submission on the wife's part is her response. Sacrificial love is what a godly husband is supposed to do. But now we get to our final part, and that is love and respect is the goal of marriage. It says it right there in verse 33. However, let each of you love his wife as himself. Love. I got a word for you here. It's my word, unless Pastor Tanner stole it from me, you probably haven't heard it before. You might want to write this one down. Otherish. Otherish is the opposite of selfish. Selfish comes natural, right? It's easy for me to be selfish. I can be selfish all day long, any day. It's from my sin nature. Now, otherish, on the other hand, is supernatural. Why? Because it's a fancy word, it's my word for God's love. You know in the Bible, the word for God's sort of love is agape. You've probably heard that before. Well, agape love is God-powered. I can't do it on my own. It's other-focused, it's what the other person needs, and it's self-sacrificing. So there are my six words to define my otherish. So if you're writing notes there, God-powered, other-focused, self-sacrificing. So when it says here, let's go back with my otherish idea. However, let each of you husbands otherish your wife as himself. Husbands, you can't do it on your own. It's got to be God-powered. It's got to be wife-focused. And it's got to be self-sacrificial. That's how God intends us as husbands to love our wives. And men, if you haven't loved your wife that way, let me tell you. Yeah, it takes some work, but it's so totally cool as well. There's something so deeply satisfying to see the way my wife responds to me when she knows I'm loving her the way God intended. I'm not saying that in any way to brag. Don't think I got this figured out, okay? I'm still really good at being selfish and doing things my way. But I have these moments of brilliance, right? Where I'm filled with the Holy Spirit and I'm loving Melanie the way that God intends me to. And those moments are like, She and I got married 26 years ago and we did that kind of old-fashioned now, I think, thing where we didn't see each other the day of the wedding, right? And I hadn't seen her wedding dress or any of that sort of stuff. And I can remember sitting there at the top of the aisle at the church and, you know, a church with a, you know, two sections and a, double doors in the back just like this one. And those double doors came open and there she stood in that white gown with her big old smile on her daddy's arm. And I think I floated up off the ground a little bit. It was like, that lady's going to be my wife in about 30 minutes or so, maybe an hour. I don't know. <laughs> I don't care. She walked down that aisle and, you know, we did the whole thing. Who gives this woman? And her daddy gave her a kiss. And then I took her by the arm and we came up on the platform. And I'm just sitting there looking at her. And I was like a long-tailed cat in a room full of rockers. I was just as nervous as I could be because this amazing lady was going to marry me. 
But there's this kind of love that takes a lifetime to work out. Loving as Christ loves. Let's look at the second half of that sentence, uh, verse. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. I'm going to be a little transparent here, ladies, and tell you this. I can guarantee you because of what God has done putting you together with your husband that there is no one on earth that can make your husband feel so small and so little and so hurt and so shameful as you. Take care. That doesn't mean you shouldn't confront him. That doesn't mean you shouldn't hold him accountable. That doesn't mean you, you know, shouldn't disagree with him. But it does mean you should not on purpose seek to hurt him. Seek to belittle Him. Seek to cut down His pride unless it's sinful pride and it needs to be kindly confronted. There's a power that God has given you that's related to this Scripture verse. That we're supposed to love in an otherish, sacrificial way and you're supposed to respond with respect. And that mutual submission that undergirds it both where we're both seeking to mutually submit to one another. That when you are disrespectful to your husband, you can cut him down quicker than anybody. Ladies, I don't know if you knew you were that powerful, but you are. No matter how tough, no matter how strong your husband is, you're stronger. In the wrong way, you could be his kryptonite. Don't use it that way. Love your husband as God intends you to love him. Husbands, love your wives in a sacrificial, otherish sort of way. And we'll see what God is going to do. I want to do something different by means of closing here today. And I actually want to read a prayer written by Chuck Swindoll. So I'm going to close my eyes and ask you to close your eyes as we pray. And we're going to let Pastor Chuck Swindoll speak to us and then I may add a few words of my own, but let's pray together. Lord, today we're living in a culture that's forgotten your pattern of marriage. The world's lost its way because your word is being ignored. We've forgotten the threads of the divine tapestry and we got them all mixed up and the whole thing's a mess. Our culture is a total disaster. The fracturing of homes has become so commonplace we no longer raise our eyebrows when we hear of another family going under. We pray, therefore, that the truths of the words above presented from your exacting pattern, the Word of God, would find root and bear fruit in our lives. We pray also that you'd give husbands and wives the courage to say, I'm wrong. I am sorry. Please forgive me. Let's start over. We ask that you would give partners who hear those words a renewed capacity to believe their spouse, to work alongside their spouse, to help make your design for marriage a reality. We thank You, Father, for Jesus who is here for us, who loved us and who modeled sacrificial love on our behalf. Help us, Lord, 
as we live out his life in our marriages through the enabling power of your spirit. Through Christ Jesus, our Lord, we pray. Amen. I believe Joanna is going to lead us in a song of consideration. I'm thankful for her leadership. She's an answer to prayer. It may be that you need to um, grab your wife or her husband by the hand and head outside and have a talk right now. Or maybe you want to talk or pray with me. Whatever you need to do in response to this song, would you do that? Let's sing together.